Hello, welcome back to Two Moons Wellness Podcast. My name is Jess, and I have with me this week my good friend Talia Anderson, who is a birth and postpartum doula at Yasin's Love Doula Services. Talia is also, I don't know, I would call her a spiritual evolutionist. Aww. Great teacher, great friend. Anything you want to add, Talia? Um, that sounds like a lot. I'll take that. I don't need to add any more. <laughs> I am stoked to have you on to talk about uh, some spiritual evolution and connecting with roots. I've known Talia for, I don't know, a decade or so. Uh -huh. Long time. Yeah. And, and in that time, I feel like we've been able to watch each other evolve in such a nice way. It's been so great to see you on your journey and and even in the past like couple years tapping really into your roots because i've been doing the same thing of like finding out my heritage and who i am and using that to my advantage mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i would agree with that totally i you <laughs> i'll edit this out if you don't want me to out you to lee and i met in 12-step recovery Yes, we did. <laughs> we did. And we both grew up with some Christian beliefs. And I feel like, um, you know, having a lot of shame-based beliefs growing up and then going into, these are my words, a shame-based 12-step uh, program. I feel like it really hindered my spiritual growth for quite some time um, and made me just hone in and hyper focus in on a the period of my life that i did my destruction while i was using mm -hmm. yeah um i can i can definitely second the whole christian based belief system and being brought into it and i i want to say that's the entire reason why i was drawn um to a 12-step program is because it was somewhat familiar, you know? Right. Um, so um, I would definitely, I can I can um, concur with some of the things that you said, but that one sticks out to me the most. That one sticks out to me the most. I don't know, I always felt like, because I, I spent several years in a Baptist cult church and there's a lot of hierarchy in churches like that where, you know, you follow the leader, the pastor, and then the other clergy members of the church. And then if you're just a church goer, you just listen to whoever is above, above, above. And I yeah. think that there's a deep part of me that thrives off of hierarchies like that, like a safety type feeling uh -huh. where if there's a leader to listen to, uh -huh. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. I feel like I don't know. I have to listen to myself even. I think that part of it for me was knowing how broken I was and how shattered I was. And I didn't trust myself enough. I did not trust myself enough to believe that I had a connection to a higher power. So I needed someone else to have the connection and to lead and guide me. Um, it wasn't until I learned uh, myself and had more trust in my own self and my intuition and my connection with my higher power that I was able to branch outside of the normal hierarchy that comes along with Christian Baptist, whatever type of church 
because I was Church of Christ, I was Pentecostal, I was Kojic. I've been in all, you know, quite a few arenas when it comes to uh, the Christian-based belief system. And so I, what I think back on is that I was so broken and shattered and I did not trust me mm-hmm. at all. At all. I didn't trust my gut, my intuition, whatever you want to call it. I didn't trust me at all. And so I felt like I needed to trust someone else um, to get me to the place that I needed to be spiritually. And we were just talking about that, too, before I started recording about how beneficial that was to to open that door, that spiritual door. I think that before I entered 12-step recovery again, I had like slammed that door shut. I was a tried and true atheist and there was just no way that I was going to be, be spiritual at all ever. And mm-hmm. when I when I came to recovery, I feel like that door was, you know, the a crack was left open of like, well, you don't have to call it God, you can call it higher power. And it made it a little bit more palatable for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think mine was um, just, you know, I always had a belief in a higher power. Um, What it looked like then and what it looks like now is two totally different things. And not to say that it's changed a lot. It's just that, I have a little bit more trust in the process when it comes to me being connected with my higher power. And so that is the, that is the only thing that I can think of that has really changed. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's, yeah, that's pretty much my thoughts around that. I think too, that, you know, I mean, being in recovery, you have kind of drilled in you to be, open, honest, and willing. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? The open-mindedness, I felt like really steeped into my pores, even as I was leaving 12-step recovery, because I left a couple years ago, but remained abstinent from alcohol and drugs. And Mm -hmm. it like, I feel like being drilled into me to be open-minded when I did leave, I was, I did feel very open to like, okay, what can I read? What can I do? What can I listen to? Because the door had already been opened on that about being open-minded and take what you want and leave the rest and all those sayings definitely aided me on my spiritual journey outside of 12-step recovery. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there is a part of it that talks about uh, spirituality and, and, and I won't quote it verbatim because this is not a meeting, but um, it, it talks about um, how uh, when we first get into the rooms, what spirituality looks like and how it looks like as you stay. Right. And mm-hmm. um, it may not look like what everybody thinks it should look like. It should look like. And so I think that that is what happened to me. Like you said, the honesty, the open-mindedness, the willingness definitely was a guide. Those principles were a guide to get where I am today. It's because I had to step out and trust that um, how I was being led and the things that I understood and that keep some and throw the rest away um, type thing, what was applicable to me because mm-hmm. it's a general belief system made for a bunch of people and so some things don't apply to some of us all of us did not have the same life coming up all of us did not have the same experience and so those things that are applicable to our lives is what made me pay attention to it and what started to set me apart because 
I could, you know, someone share their truth or something about um, spirituality and I could understand or relate to some, but not all of it because I didn't have that experience. And so that's what made me start realizing, oh, like I do get to have my own process, my own um, way to grow, you know? And that is, that is what helped me along the way the most. Bring the remote to me. You're going to probably have to edit some stuff out because I got two little boys who feel like, bring the remote to me. I can't even tell you how many times Monet is sitting next to the remote and will call me from the other room. Mom, can you mm -hmm. hand me the remote? And I come in the room and it's next to her. That's how little I know old lady service. <laughs> Do something yep. for me. Mm -hmm. Little old lady. No, the other one. Little old lady. I, I told you she was, though. Yeah. Um, but I think that that is what helped me the most. Um, that's what my, that's when my spiritual awakening began to happen, is I think I was re reading um, Tradition One or some something to that effect, and it talked about newcomers having their own experience, and it, and it was valid, right? And so that is what let me know that the way that I felt and the things the way that the literature hit me or the way that um, the the Bible hit me or whatever I read that was any type of spiritual text, the way that it hit me was for me, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and that's what I needed to focus on. How someone else interpreted it for their life may not necessarily fit to me. And that doesn't mean I'm an outsider. It just means that I comprehended differently and I had a different experience. You know, and so um, I think that is what the the open mindedness part of it, because it was a battle to be raised Christian and and to be told certain things I should not do, but being called and pulled in a different direction. So it was really, it was really a tug of war um, when it came to that. It still is sometimes. Still, still can be some days. It's hard. I mean, those, the deep rooted stuff. I mean, you think about one of my favorite DBT sayings that I ever learned in school or did as a counselor was like the dandelion um, analogy. You can't just pick the head off a dandelion because it'll grow back. You can even grab it really hard at the bottom. But if you don't get the roots, it always comes back. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And I feel mm -hmm. like too, like not addressing for me anyway, you know, like not addressing some of the religious trauma that I had. Um, Cause to be honest with you, I, I did not even remember being in this cult, in this cult church until George and I were watching a TV show, the righteous gemstones mm -hmm. on HBO about this family in a cult church. And then like they panned out to a scene of them like on stage. And I was like, Oh my God, you know, and I think I was in a church like that. And I talked to my mom about it and she confirmed and my dad too. And I, I thought like, oh my God, I have such deep religious traumas that I'm not even aware of at this point because mm -hmm. I was really young and I don't have a lot of memories about it. But in that age of development, like we are learning our independence, we're learning our voice, we're learning mm -hmm. our intuition. Mm -hmm. 
and being surrounded by, you know, people who were telling me my intuition was wrong, my voice in my head was wrong, and that I needed to do things this way, or I would burn in brimstone with the devil for eternity. It was horrifying. It's really scary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's really hard mm -hmm. to get rid of those roots. It's so fear-based. It's so fear-based. Uh, if I don't do this right, if I don't, and it's so conflicting too, because it seems like, um, you know, what applies to me doesn't necessarily apply to you. You talked about the hierarchy structure, and it seems like mm -hmm. some of those things, those same things don't apply to him, them, but they apply to me, the sinner, you know? Um, and so I think that that was another part of spirituality that made me start just seeking my higher power and getting to know yeah. it for myself. I think too, like my concept of higher power or God or whatever, I feel like whatever concept that I think of, I think of like love and encompassing love. And I never mm -hmm. have thought about vengeful punishing blah 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 i've always felt and thought about something comforting mm -hmm. so i'm certainly Even not going to immerse myself in a religion about fire and brimstone i don't i don't want that i'm going to go ahead and leave that one even with uh what i've learned because you know uh, i'm not a perfect human being and so even in correction even in a moment of correction i never when it is done genuinely it, even correction is done in love you know even when i've yeah. been when something happens um and i didn't trust my gut or i didn't trust my intuition and um whatever it is came to pass i never feel the shame and the guilt it's like okay i just need to do i should have done that differently you know mm -hmm. um and so even in correction i've learned that uh it's not necessarily a punish slap on the hand. Hey, you better not do that. Are you going to hell type thing? It's always, Hey, you know, that wasn't okay. You should, that should have been done differently. Okay. Let me go back and, and make my amends. And, and when I make my amends, it's not so shameful to the point where I'm, I'm not making an amends. Um, you know, so that is something that I've learned in this process too, is that correction is not necessarily a moment of shame, you know, I mean, I know for myself, my roots are my roots are community based. I'm Native American. I like to practice my culture and learn about my culture. And it's very community centered. It's interconnectivity. It's I am you and you are me. What's in me uh -huh. is in you and what's in you is in me. Uh -huh. And the more that I dove into that part of myself, those roots and that culture, the more I feel like I, w I was like awakened. And I was able mm -hmm. to absorb those type of literatures of Buddhism and Hinduism about, you know, treating everyone with kindness and love because they are me and I am them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because you don't tear down community if you're connected like that. Right. You don't tear it down. Yeah. You don't beat it up. You don't shame it. You don't. If we are all connected in, in, in not that a single is, member of do you do those things too? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Yep, that is definitely something that I've come to realize over time. Even when it's a situation like we just spoke of before we got on here, where it's I feel like I've been harmed by someone, I still don't discredit the foundation of the relationship. What was there? What was good? What was not? Um, I still have respect for the encounter. I still have respect for the experience. I may not agree to uh, continue to stay connected to that person, but I still have respect for the good that it brought into my world, even through the hard lessons. Even through the hard lessons, I still will find the lesson that taught me the most or whatever. And that is what I think of. I don't think, oh, that person is crappy. They're a piece of shit or whatever the case may be. I try not to put it in that bucket because that's shame too. I may not, like I said, I'll keep saying that. I may not reconnect with that person, <clears throat> but I'm grateful for the encounter. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful because you taught me some things. You taught me how to respect me. You taught me how to love me. You taught me how to trust me. You taught me how to trust my intuition. You taught me quite a few things in that in that process. And I'll walk away with that rather than, oh, that's a crappy person. Don't deal with them or don't, I wouldn't go near them. Or, you know, that's all fear-based stuff to me. Because who a person is, was or is to me they may not be to another person. So I don't get to put that out in right. the air. You know? I don't get to put that out in the air. I don't get to say this is this person is this. No, that was my experience with them. Um and personality conflict. Um, mm-hmm. there's different reasons why relationships are different. Um you see, you hear people always say, um, you you may talk to uh, a couple of different people that have different versions of me have experienced different versions of me, and that's because of who they were, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I totally believe in that. I mean, it's you know people people tend to treat us as how they see us, which is usually mm-hmm. how they see themselves. Mm-hmm. My yep. perception of you is a reflection of the perception I have of myself. Yep. That is why it's so important to, when you do have a situation with someone, to go back and look at the parts of it. What part is yours? What part is theirs? To be able to separate it, because if not, then you'll get this convoluted version of who you are from someone else that may not even really know you. you and know? to like separate what is your trauma lens versus your actual perception. I have such a problem with that, especially Uh with interactions that touch painful spots of my psyche. If you, Uh if somebody has wronged me in a way that my dad wronged me in 1997, you bet I'm going to be really exaggerated on my reaction. Uh Uh What was that? Why did you do that? <laughs> right. So I have to ask yeah. myself, like, is 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 2022 Jess hurt or is 1997 Jess hurt? That's it, Jess. That's it. Like, I have been in this place of doing a lot of uh, inner child work. Um, yeah, same. Over the last, I want to say the last three years, I've been doing a lot of inner child work. As a matter of fact, my therapist asked me, to write a letter to my little girl. And I was unable to write that letter no matter how many times I attempted over the three years. And just at the beginning of this year, I wanna say in March or April, 
I finally wrote the letter to my little girl and sent it to her. And that was because I had, I had finally reconciled myself for not keeping her safe because Mm -hmm. that is why we have this big, um, this big protective, uh, adult raw energy is because I'm going to protect her now because I was unable to protect her as a child, you know? And so that is something that I had to, um, I had to make amends to me for not keeping her safe. And there are some things that was not my fault. And those things that, um, that happened to me were most likely not my fault as a child. My guardians did the best that they knew how to do. And sometimes it wasn't safe. And so I think that a lot of times, once you start to do that inner child work, you view people differently. I know I started Mm -hmm. to. Mm-hmm. In the process, I'm no longer looking at them through my little girl. Something, you know, now that I'm in a relationship and something I just said to my partner the other day, I said, you know, it's actually four people in this relationship. And he was like, oh, looking at me all crazy. I said, yeah, it's us. And then it's our little child. It's our inner child. And they need to, they need to get along too. And um, he was like, I never heard it like that. And I was like, I think I read it somewhere. I read so much crap. Or... I felt it too. I realized when I connect with people that it's not just me and them, the adult versions of us. It's our little child too. If our inner child is not in a place of healing, then almost everything seems like a wound, a wound opener. Mm -hmm. You know, if we've gone through extensive trauma as little kids and we never did the work, then every time someone goes to reach for us, they're they're re-injuring us in some kind of way ow oh my god why would you say that or ow instead of being the healed version of ourselves and saying oh okay i get that this is what you meant you know interpretation is totally different when you actually do the work you know when you when you do that work on your inner child well i mean you don't see the world through the eyes of an abandoned, abused child anymore. You mm-hmm. start to see the eyes, the world through the eyes of an emotionally stable adult. Mm-hmm. And it kind of changes the game. It changes everything. It did for me, for sure. When I could look at a situation and think, uh, okay, mm-hmm. I'm actually not upset about the situation at all. It's mm-hmm. not about the dishes. It's never been about the dishes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's actually because you said this and it reminded me of that. Or you did this and it reminded me of that. Or you behaved this way and I was reminded of that one time when. But when you, when you, when you resolve those issues, you see it for what it really is rather than what you see when you run into your trauma filter well and there's also something to be and i know that you you have your grandkids with you now so you're you're parenting you're Mm full-time parenting Mm -hmm. and there's something to be said at least for myself that like there's something that goes on in my inner child when i am providing the life that i i'm crying the life that i dreamed of you know Mm -hmm. and the support that i dreamed of and prayed for every night in my bed there is 
it's like a grieving healing simultaneous process it's so bizarre Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i am you're right i am parenting again i'm grandparenting and i think what the layers to that is is that not only am i again being able to do some of the things for my grandchildren that wasn't done for me but also some of the things that i was unable to do for my children when i was in my addiction you know so it's it's, it's layered for me um, a lot of things that I don't like I didn't do any gentle parenting with any of my children and now I do some gentle parenting um, I didn't get to uh, I didn't sit down and do homework and I didn't sit down and talk about things. I barely showed up to PTA meetings um, and so not only do I get to show up in a way that I didn't receive but also in a way that I didn't give to my children and so that in and of itself, I cannot explain to you how how many times over this almost year that they've been in my custody that I broke down and cried either with them or alone in my room and thought about the healing that's happening for our entire uh, lineage, the, the healing like that many is generations of healing that you're doing. Yep. And so I, I often I often think about that and how I. I pay attention to my words a lot more, although they're not always good, but they're a whole heck of a lot better than they were for me and how I treated my yes. children, you know? So yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. Well, and as parents too, and caretakers of children, there's so much shame in that. I just like it, they are born and then all of a sudden it's just shame, just mm -hmm. automatically didn't feel good enough the second that they put mo on my chest i thought oh i'm not doing this right already one second in <laughs> and like i i constantly have to remind myself that you know i i got yelled at a lot as a child and mm -hmm. got hands laid on me and it was a really traumatic experience being a child and it makes me laugh so hard sometimes and i have to leave the room because i don't want to like shame mo for her big feelings because she's got big ones but when she is just like on the ground you are so mean for not giving me this lollipop mm -hmm. at 7 p.m you know how tragic you terrible mother and i have to like go around the corner and just like smile and think like god this is one of the most healing experiences of my life is being a parent mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We understand so much more. Um, doing that inner child work helped me forgive my mom. And it helped, me see, it helped me see um, that in a lot of ways I was just like her. Even though I claimed that I never wanted to be like her. And the other part is there is no freaking handbook for parenting she was winging it i was winging it we did the best that we could as parents but i think that that was the biggest aha moment for me in my spiritual awakening and my childhood trauma work is that i was able to see and feel what it was like to be in my mother's shoes and have enough sympathy and empathy in my heart to forgive her for the harm that she did to me knowing totally and unknowing 
I was 30 when I had my baby, 30 years old, well into my adult life, an elder almost. And my mom was 17 and I had such a hard time at 30. I sobbed thinking about a teenage girl with no family. Like it changed my perspective completely. Like how tragic. I I don't know if she listened to this podcast or not. Sorry, mom. But like it it like broke my heart to think about her struggle as a mom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now as a mom, winging it because none of us know what the fuck is going on here. Mm -hmm. My mother had a traumatic experience. My mother uh, lost babies. And she didn't lose them because she just had a miscarriage. She was in a domestic violence relationship. And that was, the end result was her losing her twin boys. And doing the work that I do, I know how deep that trauma is, right? And it went untreated. And people glazed over the pain that my mother had went through. And they didn't pay attention to it. And I wonder often, um, did she struggle with postpartum depression like I did? Um, in the midst of losing her children, um, did she get to voice or tell, you know, being a birth doula, a lot of times people need to to go over their story with you, how it impacted them, right? I wonder, did anybody ever listen to her story? Um, did anybody ever give her space or hold space for her to be able to tell her truth about the pain that she felt from losing two little boys, knowing that she wanted sons really badly? Um, and so that is, I think that I mourned for her for a while. I did. I mourned for her for a while. Cause I can not imagine I've never lost a child. I've never had a miscarriage. And so I don't know the pain, but I've worked with people that have, and I felt it. And so I can only imagine how my mother felt and to be with this daughter, the surviving daughter and have so many feelings around that you know i i think about that often i think that is the biggest part of me being able to heal in that area of my childhood trauma my mother was going through so much and i remember how she was before she lost the boys i always talk to people all the time and say i wish my mom would go back to that person but that person may never return um, because she experienced a, a significant trauma and i don't think she got to process it I don't think anybody listened. I don't think anybody cared. I think that they just marked her off as crazy or whatever and, and continue to progress. So I think about that when I think about our, our elders and our ancestors, the traumas that they experienced. Here I am with my trauma and how how big the emotions are and how, how harshly it impacted me. I can only imagine, you know, I can only imagine what it felt like to them. And so I, I try to keep that in mind uh, when I think about what I went through as a kid. I don't know what their traumas were. I don't know how it impacted them, but they did the best that they knew how to do while surviving trauma. I think the older the older we get to, the wider the lens gets. Mm-hmm. You know, when mm-hmm. you're 10 years old, the only thing you think about is, you know, 10-year-old you in mm-hmm. your immediate vicinity and then as you get older you can think a little bit more widely about the people around you mm-hmm. and 
<clears throat> I think the the older I get and also the more inner work I do around healing my inner child, the more I realize, you know, the responsibility of being the generational curse breaker is mm -hmm. a lot of responsibility for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you have to set those boundaries with the current family members who just don't give a shit that you're doing that work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. My All therapist right. told my therapist told me when I first came to her and told her, she said, what do you want to work on? I said, childhood trauma, because I knew it was impacting me. I just didn't know what it was going to look like, right? And she said, oh, you want to be a curse breaker. And I was like, what do you mean by that? She said, so this is the work. Imagine standing on a train track and trying to stop a train full speed ahead with your bare hands. She said, that is what it's going to feel like. You won't die, though, you know? straight face like it was nothing right and i was like well okay you know i, I okay i don't care because i you know the, as they say if the pain gets great enough you'll do something different right and so it had impacted my life so much that i had so much pain that i was willing to do anything but i remember in the middle of that work forgiving my sexual assault survivor when i was a child forgiving my mother uh being vulnerable and platonic and romantic relationships I remember the tantrums that I threw around that part of the healing specifically because those were the hard areas for me. And I remember sobbing and crying to my sponsor when she was like, well, I don't know how you're going to fall in love with somebody because you can't fall in love if you're not vulnerable. If you just wear a mask all the time, you'll have something like love, but it won't be love because you won't be exposing your true self to love, right? And I'm like, what? I'm not doing this. I don't want to do this work anymore. <laughs> I don't want to do this work anymore, but it's worth it. It's always I worth it. I mean, yeah. I don't know. You remember, I never cried. I did not cry. I was not a crier. Mm -hmm. And oh my, I cried at everything. Oh my, we were watching Minion shorts, you know, the Minions, the little mm -hmm. yellow guy. We mm -hmm. were watching the like little short films and one got me about a dog i was losing it i was sobbing it was like about like accepting people that are different and mo was like are mm -hmm. you gonna be okay yeah i'll be all right <laughs> but I, I don't know i mean like i wasn't i don't think i was fully prepared for being as emotional and open and raw as vulnerable as i am and it just mm -hmm. kind of hasn't stopped but in that i have been able to I feel like really feel deep gratitude for the first time in my life, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For some things. And I think being in meetings and talking at podiums and talking about gratitude and I'm so grateful to have clean socks and da da da, it becomes a part of a speech, or at least it did for me. It became mm -hmm. just kind of like a dialogue that I had pre programmed in my head. And now that mm -hmm. I don't really talk to anybody about that kind of stuff on a weekly basis, when I'm by myself in my own home and I am like sitting on my bed, having a glass of clean water, sometimes I will just sob thinking about what a gift it is to have fresh water. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't think my brain ever worked like that before. Yep. But that's the thing though, Jeff. That, that is totally a thing. Um, I, uh one morning i was doing um uh cleansing prayer where i wash my face i brush my teeth i do all of that and i 
and I pray. And um, I remember sobbing, like sobbing in my hand. Uh, I remember one time I was doing a spiritual bath and it was a bath uh, and it was focused on love. And at that time I was like, I'm doing this because I want uh, uh, somebody in my life, a partner in my life. And it didn't come in that way. It uh, came in a way of self-love first. And I remember crying uncontrollably in my tub and um, just loving on myself in that process. And I never thought that that's what it felt like. I felt actually felt like love was in my heart. You know how you you know what it reminded me of? I tell my spiritual advisor this. Of, uh, remember when the Grinch started crying and he was like, I'm leaking. <laughs> that's what I thought of. I thought about like just having those uncontrolled emotions um and it's uh being rooted in uh self-love for me at that time and so yeah i there i get moments like that all the time and no joke i could be sitting at a stoplight and thinking about what my life was just five years ago just five years ago jess yeah i know just i just a couple years ago i think about having the baby i mean not a couple she's four now but Mm-hmm. Having the baby and getting rocked with postpartum depression and then literally being unable to fucking talk about it, just suffering alone in silence. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think mm-hmm. I was going to make it. I didn't think I was going to make it. I thought, oh, my God, what did I do? What did I do? And just yeah. to think back to that and then to now is incredible. And I think that, like, I don't know. <clears throat> the work you know the quote work to be done on self Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be done with anybody else i -hmm. love your story so much because in you know the past couple years we've been talking about kind of going on our own little self-discovery journeys Mm -hmm. and discovering roots and incorporating like new things into our spiritual practice and i think that you know one of the reasons for me why that feels so at home is because it's my own creation is what mm-hmm. I feel like my own special spiritual concoction of things that are meaningful to me and me only. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's personal. Yeah. It's so, it's so personal. It's so personal. It's so personal and intimate. Um, it's so tailor-made for me. Um, no one understands or knows exactly what i've been in through in my life more so than me and my higher power and so i often think about how personal it is uh when i pray i think about some of the times when i am having a really emotional time praying and i it's because i begin to think about some of the things that i've survived throughout my life and that my higher power was there all alone when at one point in my life i didn't believe that there was a higher power there and i was really angry because why was this why did this happen to me but now that my life has come full circle and i'm working with women that have gone through some of the things that i've gone through and i'm able to give them information to help them heal then i understand it all then i have emotional moments Well, I think for people who have scars in vulnerability or challenges in being vulnerable, that also includes yourself. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> we forget that. If you have yep. intimacy problems or like mm-hmm. I always labeled myself, I have intimacy problems. I don't like being intimate. That was 100% with myself as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. What better yep. way to this opening up and being vulnerable and intimate than with myself? How safe? No safer mm-hmm. place, really. Mm-hmm. That 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 whole uh, wounded healer aspect. Yeah. You know? That wounded healer. Um, I know what it feels like to hurt there. Let me help you. Um, I think I was watching Nadine Burke, and she was talking about it's different when you have, let's say, you go into a sports therapy center, and this this therapist, your sports therapist, is saying you should do this to strengthen your leg and this is what I learned in school rather than a therapist that comes in the room and says, ah, okay, I've had that same injury. This is what worked the best for me, you know? And so it, it just feels a little bit more um, real when you have somebody that has gone through it and you're right. It's usually with ourselves first. It's a, it's a reflection. A lot of the people that we meet throughout our life is a reflection of us. A lot of people. I just love you, Talia. <laughs> always, always a pleasure to speak with you. Um, I have something I wanted to read, which I felt like was very fitting for our conversations. Uh, this is by Tichna Han. Mm-hmm. I'm now a fangirl of Tichna Han. Anyway, uh, this is uh, from one of his books, and it says, This is the great insight of Buddhism. Anyone can become a Buddha. What Siddhartha achieved, all of us can also achieve, whether we are a man or a woman, no matter what social class or ethnic group we are born into, or whether we practice as a monastic or as a layperson. We all have the capacity capacity to become a fully enlightened Buddha. And while on the path to becoming fully enlightened, we are all bodhisattvas. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I've heard about that uh, particular Arthur. I think, did we talk about it? Because I asked about a book about, I have that book. I have a book from that person in my Amazon cart. I think so. I'm always like, read Tich Nahan. I love him. He's so great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been reading Rumi um, lately. So yeah, I think that that is another person that popped up for me and I have it in my Amazon cart because I'm a a bookaholic. I'll buy Some of the most amazing poetry on love, my favorite, is written by Rumi. Mm-hmm. Crying mm-hmm. a couple books for you from my shelf to send to you. <laughs> yes, yes. I think I have uh, Rumi's love poems. I just haven't gotten to it yet. But I bought three Rumi books last year, and I've been slowly working my way through them. Yeah. I know I'm a bookaholic, too. I'm always reading Mhm. Mhm. One of my self care practices. I have to. It's just. It's. I don't know. It's how we learn. It's how we grow. It's how we expand. Mhm. Absolutely. 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 I agree. I'm. I'm grateful to be um, on your podcast. I'm so proud of you. You have grown so much. Um, Thanks, Leah. This is the scariest endeavor I've ever had was putting myself out there as much as I have. But it's important. I think that growing 
and sharing spiritual knowledge is beyond important. We live in such a scary, lonely world. And it seems like everything is changing in such a way that it is so dangerous if you don't have some sort of foundation in spirituality that speaks to you. You know, yeah. if you if you don't have anything and you grasp for straws, what's out there right now is not really that safe. You don't want it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I'm so proud of you, Jess. Thank you, Talia. And I am looking forward to your website. And if you are looking in the Portland area and you need a doula, find Talia. Book her now before she's sold out. Book through the year. <laughs> right. I'm already getting uh, January, February clients. So, yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Good stuff. So good talking with you, Jess. Good talking with you too, Talia.